Good morning. Everyone has a husky voice today, thanks to the weather. Okay, so today, can you hear me? Yeah. Today we today we are here to uh, to read through a very interesting portion in the scripture. It speaks about Jerusalem's destruction and the end, and. Uh, Early today, when, when we came to church, saw a lot of empty seats, and I was wondering, did the rapture happen? <laughs> what happened to us? Anyway, so let, let's, uh, let's turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. This is a slightly long portion in the scripture. So what we will do is we will take it in chunks, and then there's a lot of uh, things in the narrative. So we will actually go through the narrative. And then as we come towards the end, we will, we will look at the application, all right? Um, now, there are a few things which I want to talk about. Okay, it doesn't matter. Let's, uh, let's look into the Bibles. Let's uh, come to Luke chapter 21. And what we will do is we'll look at uh, verse 5 onwards. And it says, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Okay. Now, now when we did our earlier series, The Whole Council of God, uh, Raven actually spoke from Matthew chapter 24, which is a parallel to this, that is known as the Olivet Discourse. Now what's happening here is, Jesus and his disciples were at the temple and then they moved up to the Mount of Olives and they are looking at the temple and they are having this, and they're having this conversation. And uh, the temple of God was one of the biggest structures in the then Israel. Was one of the biggest structures in the then Israel, okay? Um, Okay, I'll come to that. Uh, it was one of the biggest structures in the then Israel. So, um, just a quick, uh, just a quick quiz: Who built the first uh, temple? Solomon built the first temple, and and we know, right? During the invasion, that temple was uh, destroyed, and after the temple was destroyed, uh, the during the time of Zerubbabel, he rebuilt the temple. So the temple was rebuilt, and after the temple was rebuilt. During the time of Herod, now Herod was not a Jew. He was, um, he, was, he was married to a Jew, but in order to appease the Jews, what he did is he enhanced the temple greatly. He brought in a lot of enhancements on the temple, and as a result of which, uh, he won the favor of the Jews, and the temple was overlaid with gold. There were these white marbles, and when the sun shone on the temple, apparently it, it used to glisten, and it was, it was a fabulous structure in the then Israel. And an ordinary Jew took a lot of pride in the temple and, and, and it was central to their religious and cultural life. And last week, uh, Benji spoke a bit about the temple. Now, as we deal with anything that, that pertains to the end times, I just want to make a few things clear here, okay? Now, there are multiple interpretations that are there when it comes to the end times, even amongst the evangelical community. There are lots of scholars who have applied their minds and, and, um, and uh, you know, they have published their own views. Uh, and, and, and none of it is really wrong, 
uh, none of it is really wrong. Each one of them have uh, enough scriptures to back their particular interpretation. And I'm no scholar to, to, to take any other view on this. Um, and in fact, uh, as, we, as we read the scriptures, one thing that we should, uh, we should realize is it is not for us to really sit and speculate about some of these things and connect every world event with the end times. That is not what we are supposed to do. But what we are supposed to do is to always live in the light of the return of the Lord. Right from the first century during the time of the disciples to the early church fathers and right through history what we see is Everybody lived in the light of the Lord's imminent return. And that is what is important to us. Okay. Having said that, this is the same picture that Benji showed last week. So Benji, I did a control C, control V, I took the same picture. So this is the temple, so this is the temple, this is the structure of the temple which was existent then. And when you get the time, it would be good if you can just go through this particular diagram and just familiarize yourself with how the temple structure was at that time. And like we said, during the time of King Herod, this structure became one of the most magnificent structures in Jerusalem. Now, as we get into the text, please bear with me for the slightly long narrative because that's how the passages. Now, I'm actually standing in for Raventh, and like Raventh would say, please give me your undivided attention. <laughs> okay, so we, uh, so, we, so, we, uh, so we go to Luke chapter 21 and verse 5. And Jesus and his disciples, they are looking at this temple and the Jews, the disciples, they would have been shocked when Jesus said that the days will come when they would not be left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now this is shocking to a Jew. As it is, the Jews were really upset about what happened to the first temple. And then the second temple came up. The second temple was made even grander. And here is Jesus himself saying that the second temple will actually be brought down and every stone will be ripped from the other stone. And the disciples were shocked and that's why they are asking, Teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Now, if you go to Matthew, there are two questions that the disciples ask. That is, they ask a question about when will the temple be brought down and the other question is, when will your coming be and when will, the, when will be the end of the age? So Jesus is actually talking about both of these things in the narrative. Now in the narrative, Jesus is not talking about things in a very chronological order. Okay? So what we have done is, the subsequent verses, we have put them in three buckets. Okay? And these are the three buckets. Okay? The first bucket is end of the age. The second bucket is events that happened in AD 70 and the last bucket is the present age. Now we find the various portions in the scriptures, you know, getting slotted into either of these three. Okay, so now let's come to the rest of the, that portion. It says, and he said, see that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is at hand, do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Now, what is this speaking about? What is this portion that Jesus is speaking about? Now, this section speaks about the end of the age. Okay? So, Jesus is saying that at the end of the age, and this actually correlates with what we read in the book of, uh, in the book of Revelation as well. 
and see that you are not led astray for many will come in my name saying I am he and the time is at hand. So during the end times, now when we read Revelation we know that there's going to be wars, there's going to be famines, there are all these celestial happenings that are going to happen, the rivers are going to turn into blood, there's, uh, the, the, the commercial system will get destroyed, the religious system will get destroyed and during that time people will come and say that I am the Messiah. Now this kind of thing also happened in the early church, there were a lot of false prophets who appeared and here Jesus is saying that all of this is going to happen. He says, do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be afraid, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. So these things all have to happen, and only then the end will come. So this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. So this is what this particular portion from verses 8 to 9 talk about. Okay. Now we go to the next section, which is verses 10 to 11. Now here there's a catch. Let's read 10 to 11. And he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdoms against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places, famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. After that, verse 12 says, But before all this, okay, but before all this, which means the next section chronologically is going to happen before this. So we will look at that section, okay, which is verse 12. And where does that happen? Verse 12 to 19 is actually speaking about what we are going through today. Okay, and let's read, about, uh, let's read that first. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you, they will persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your life. Now this is speaking about everything that happened from the time Jesus spoke these words to all what we are going through today till the end of the age. And if you look at it, let's look at this verse by verse, okay? And it says, before all this, they will lay their hands on you, persecute you, and deliver you up. Now, history tells us that Christianity is the most persecuted faith on the face of the earth. We've been enduring trials and persecution and martyrdom right from the time Jesus left the earth. Look at the 12 disciples of Jesus. 11 of them were martyred. Even John was actually banished to Patmos. So in that sense, he didn't really have a normal death. The early church fathers from Polycarp to so many of them were burned at the stakes. The very English Bible that we have, people like Tyndale, they gave up their lives to give us this. So right through history, a lot of blood has been shed for the sake of our faith. Even in India, we know people like Graham Steins, and there are many people that we don't even know who have given up their lives for the sake of the gospel. So all of this, whatever Jesus spoke, is true and it is continuing to happen. Christians losing their lives. Many of them are losing their possessions. Last Thursday in the cell group, uh, I think Pisti was talking about a family in, in Uttar Pradesh. I think it's a place where uh, Pisti and all are involved with some ministry. And what he was saying is this is family which came to Christ and the, the village has taken away all their possessions and they are out on the streets. And these are poor people and yet they are standing 
strong in the faith. That's just a small example. And there will be many such examples happening in this very country itself. And it says this, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And look at the next verse. It says that this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Even as you're being hauled into the courts, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. I don't know whether you remember, about a year ago, that Uncle uh, Charlie John was arrested in, um, in, in Rajasthan, I think. And there was this video which came about that he was in the police station, he was with the police officers, and he was using that as an opportunity to share with them about the love of Christ. Just look at that. So, you know, God doesn't promise us a free and comfortable life as Christians on the face of this earth. The faith, I would like to say this again, the faith that we enjoy, many lives, many lives have been sacrificed. Much blood has been shed for this faith that we have. And it is in God's, it is, it is, God has ordained that our people will go through persecution as the gospel builds and as the gospel grows on the face of this earth. Many a times we are so, so, so comfortable with this, with this, you know, comfortable Christianity. But you just need to move around and talk to people and see how much of persecution that people endure to make the gospel known. And then it says, settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. He is saying that when you stand for trial, he will give you the utterance. He will give you the confidence. He will tell you exactly what you need to tell and make your faith known. Just look at that, right? Jesus or God doesn't pull up a magic wand and suddenly decide to make the gospel known. It is through your trials, it is through your persecutions, it is through the blood that is shed that the gospel is going to be made known. And that's what it says here. And it says you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you, they will put to death. Jesus also alludes to this, right? He says that, uh, uh, that you will have conflict within the family. I have come to set up, um, uh, I think, sons against parents and so on. Jesus also speaks about that. Now, that, cause, that talks about the cost of discipleship. It, costs about, it talks about the cost of discipleship. Now, in this church, we have several people who are from first generation. And some of them have actually had issues at home because of the faith that they decided to follow. There are people here um, who, who, who've had really difficult relationship with their parents. Some of it got improved over a period of time. So these things are actually true even today. This is what is happening to us. I know there's a brother here who, because he came to the faith, was, was beaten up by his parents. There are people here whose, whose parents kind of ostracized them for a long period of time because they decided to follow Christ. So these are things which are happening today. They will be hated. We will be hated. We will be hated because of the faith that we have and because of the stand that we have, because of the Christian values that we hold dear. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Wow. Now, you know, today, today, today uh, I think all these... Um, uh, all these prosperity preachers should actually be reading this, right? You will be hated by all for my name's sake, which also means that we are going to attract persecution. We are going to attract, you know, the sword. We are going to attract the news. We are going to attract all such things 
as we try to live out our life on the face of this earth. But it says, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your life. This seems like a bit of a contradiction, right? It's saying all of these things and then it says, but not a hair of your head will perish. I think the best way to explain that is, ultimately, ultimately, our life is in God's hands and our eternity is secure with Him. So, so just to quickly recap, verses 12 to 19 speak about what we are going through, speaks about this present age. Okay? So from there we actually move on to the, uh, we actually go back actually to verses 10, uh, verses 10 to 11. It says, nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdom. Now this again is speaking about what's going to happen at the end of the age. Now we know that there's going to be wars. I mean, I mean, all of you should, should uh, if you haven't read Revelation, you should actually read Revelation. Revelation speaks about three kinds of judgments. There is the scroll judgment, the trumpet judgment, the bowl judgment, and we find God's plan unfolding one of the other. And, there's, and nations are going to come into battle and you know, all such things are mentioned there. And then verse 11 says, there will be great earthquakes and various places, famines and pestilence. All of these things are actually mentioned in the book of Revelation. And you should actually be reading that. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. And there's a lot of these celestial things which are going to happen. And all of that is going to really drive fear into people. So, so that is what Jesus is actually talking about here. So verses 10 to 11 speaks about the end of the age. Okay, So hope you've got, it, uh, got so much um, uh, from, this, uh, from what we have discussed uh, now. Now we go to verse 20. Now where does verse 20 to 24 actually fit in? Now this is interesting. Okay, okay verses, verses 20 to 24 speaks about the events that happened in AD 70. Let's read that. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out of the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now this, if you read in Matthew, um, it, it reads like it is speaking about what's going to happen at the end of the age. But like is typical with most prophecies, the scholars say that there is a near-time prophecy and a prophecy which will happen later. Here, Luke's focus and the way his narration is seems to be focused on what was then a prophecy, because when Jesus spoke this, AD 70 hadn't happened. But the focus here seems to be on what happened in AD 70. Okay? And then he, he says here, and when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you know that the desolation has come near. Now, AD 70, one of the most significant years in the life of uh, the history of Israel. Now, this is a time when, when, um, when during, the time of, uh, during the time of the Romans, the Jews would constantly, you know, they used to get irked with these guys and they used to have these small rebellions. And in order to quell a rebellion, the army came heavily upon the Jews. And it is said that 1.1 million Jews were killed in AD 70. And they were dispersed across the nation. And during that time, 
the soldiers burnt the temple of god they 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 burnt the temple the gold melted and in order to pull out the gold what the soldiers did is they pulled out stone after stone which means the prophecy of jesus was actually taking place they pulled out every stone they took the gold and that's how the temple was dismantled and 1.1 million jews lost their lives in ad 70 and he says here and then those who are in judea flee to the mountains and and one of the scholars has written now uh, i don't know how far it's true but he is a conservative scholar and what he has written is the christians in ad 70 because they knew that these are the words of jesus just as this 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 oppression was happening they actually fled they actually fled from jerusalem and saved their lives but the jews who remained there they are the ones who lost their lives and it says and let those who are inside the city depart and let those who are out in the country enter it um and let not those who are out in the country enter it for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written you know god's wrath was actually being poured out on that city these are the very people who told god that let his blood be on us and on our children they rejected the son of god and here was god's punishment coming down heavily on the nation of jerusalem and if you look at it we read about uh, i think i think uh, two weeks back we spoke about how jesus wept looking on to jerusalem why was he weeping he was weeping because he knew all that was going to happen to the city of jerusalem in fact there's a place where they say jesus looked and wept at jerusalem and there's a there's a there's a catholic church there and the church is built in the shape of a teardrop it's known as the teardrop church and jesus wept seeing what is going to happen to the city of jerusalem so those were the days of vengeance to fulfill all that was written it is it is a scary thing to fall into the hands of an almighty god and then it says alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against the people you know the last thing that a pregnant woman would want to do is to be you know running around being scared not knowing where to go but this is exactly what happened in ad 70 there was there was there was great persecution at that point of time and it says that they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive amongst all nations and this is again what happened right the jews got spread across the world right from europe in east europe and 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 uh, and germany and many of these places had huge jewish settlements in india we had the jews who came in we had jews in bombay and uh, um calcutta and even in cochin there were a lot of jews they got spread all over the world and they were hunted down they were in fact one of the most hated races and you know what happened during the time of the holocaust how much they were hunted and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations and jerusalem will be trampled under foot by the gentiles until the time of the gentiles is complete now again in hindsight now we have the advantage of hindsight when we look back this is what happened to the city of jerusalem jerusalem was always in the control of the gentiles now after the period of um, 
after the period of the Romans, uh, Constantine came about. So, so they were under the rule of the Byzantine kingdom. And, 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 and then after that, you know, there was this time of the Crusades and between the Christians and the Muslims, uh, it changed hands. They were all Gentiles. There was a period which was known as the period of the Mamluks. They were again the Muslims. That time, again, Jerusalem was in the control of the Gentiles. And later, for a long time, they were under the control of the Ottoman Turks. Then it came under the control of the British, and then from the British in 1948, Israel became a nation. So you see, all along they were in the hands of the Gentiles. Now, now, now of course, it is in the hands of the Jews, but, um, but again, I don't want to sensationalize it, but, uh, but the most holy place which the Jews want, it is still in the hands of the Muslims. That is where the Dome of the Rock stands. So again, the point to notice, AD 70, Verses, verses 20 to 24, this happened at that point of time. Okay, So you see how Jesus is actually going through all of this. He's speaking about certain things which pertain to the temple. He's speaking about certain things which pertain to Jerusalem. And he's speaking about things which pertain to the end times. Okay, Hope so far the narrative is clear. Now we move to the next section, which is from verse 25 onwards. So where does verse 25 actually fit in. That again fits into the end of the age. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. So this goes back to what we discussed, uh, what we alluded to, which is in the book of Revelation, right? And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. So this is going to be all the things which are written in the book of Revelation. There's going to be, it is going to be unimaginable things that people are going to experience here. Just imagine, we, we today live in this world as, I mean, with all the difficulties we have, a lot of things we take for granted, right? Um, I mean, we, we have issues with law and order, but it's not too bad. There are occasional, for example, now it's, it's, it's raining, there's supposedly a cyclone, but it's, it's, it's still not bad. But those days, these things are going to be absolutely crazy because, because it speaks about river becoming blood. It speaks about um, wars and famine and, uh, and earthquakes and things which the world has never seen before. There's going to be absolute chaos in the world at that time. And then it says people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. You know, the world, the, the world, you know, as much as we have United Nations and all these people trying to bring about peace, none of that, it still doesn't work, but none of this is ever going to bring any peace because the world is going to be the recipient of the wrath of God. It says, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. As much as all these things reach a crescendo, that's when the Son of Man will make his appearance and he will come in a cloud with power and great glory and then it says and when these things begin to take place straighten up raise your head because your redemption is drawing near so 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 for people so for believers 
who are living at that point of time. You need to know that the redemption is here. The Son of Man is going to make his appearance. So that's broadly the, uh, I hope, I hope this, uh, you know, putting this into compartments kind of helped you understand uh, where each piece fits in, okay? Now we, now we move to the next part, okay? Which speaks about verse 29, and this is what we read here today. And he told them a parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leave, you see for yourself and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And it says, look at the fig tree, because fig tree was possibly the most common tree there. And as soon as they come out and leave, as the fig tree buds, you know that you can expect fruit. So he's just using that as an example and saying, as you see the, as you see them come out and leave, you see for yourself and know that the summer is already here, which means he's just saying that as you see all of this, right, you need to expect what is going to come next. And what is that? And so that you know that these things place it and you know that the kingdom of God is near. That's when you realize that the end times are near. So it is not for really for us to sit and speculate about every world event that's taking place, but when people go through all these all these things which we just read from verse 20 onwards, at that time, they will truly know that the end is near. Okay? And I say to you that this generation will not pass away until all that has taken place, which means the generation that is living then, they will not pass away until all of these things which are mentioned take place. And then he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain. My words will not pass away. Okay, so all this is great narrative. So how does it apply to us, us, right? So I just want to focus some time on how all of this applies to us. Because sometimes, you know, uh, when we learn and read about the end times, it can give us goosebumps, it can get our BP high. It's all nice, but, but that's not the point, right? How does all of this apply to us? And the point number one is, you know, a just God will judge righteously. He is a God of justice and he has to judge, okay? The history of Israel shows that God will punish the offender. God will punish the offender because we know what happened right from the time Israelites started their journey. They were punished. You remember what happened when, when they erected the, the, the idol, the bull? No, God struck. God struck them down. And whenever they murmured and, 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 and they were rebelling, God struck them down. We know what happened to Miriam and Aaron. God punished them. And, and, and uh, we know that God sent them into exile. And, uh, and he's, he's always been a God. As much as he loved the nation of Israel and as much as he, he, he wanted them to follow him, he always struck them when they indulged in sin. And this is the same God who is there today. If there's anybody sitting here, if, if, if you have been rebelling against God, if you have, despite, despite having heard the gospel for, for over a period of time, despite having come so close, yet you haven't put your faith in Him, you know, that amounts to rebellion. It is time for you to realize that God is a judge and He will judge you. He is going to haul you over the coals. It is time for you to repent 
and turn to him. Now, there are several verses in the Bible which speaks about God who will judge righteously. You know, this verse in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 14, it's, it's, it's a verse which is often spoken to me very powerfully. It says, Can your courage endure, or can your hands be strong in the day that I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. He doesn't say, I might do it. He's saying, he will do it. On the day when he brings you to judgments, can any of you stand up and say that, you know, I have a right to be in heaven? No. If today you haven't repented and if you haven't given your life to Christ and if, if, if the righteousness of Christ is not upon you, the only place that you will go is to hell and to hell for all of eternity. And it is time for you to repent and come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is fearful. It is fearful. Remember the story of Korah and how the earth split? Hello? Yeah. So it is, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And we would beg of you and we will plead with you that if today your relationship with God is not right, please Please don't test God. You know, today, today, you need to make a decision today to not fall into the fearful hands of God, but to run into the loving embrace of God as is depicted in the story of the prodigal son. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You know, the portion is, we were by nature children of wrath. We were people on whom God's wrath was supposed to be poured out. But you know what? He didn't pour out that wrath on you. He poured out that wrath on His Holy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as He hung there on the cross. He took your place. He took my place. And today, if, you, if, if most of us seated here, if we have joy and if we have hope, it is only because of what? The Father accomplished for us through the death of His Holy Son. God's holy wrath was poured upon His Son so that today I will be set free and so that you will be set free. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, it says that the soul who sins shall die. Which means there is no escape. There is no escape for any of us. We we, we, we are born in sin, and as a result of that, we sin in our mind, we sin in our thoughts, we sin in our actions, and the only place which, 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 which is rightful for us is to go to hell. But, but God is calling you home. And Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death. Now, death came into this world because of sin, and it is that sin and the punishment of that sin which was taken by the Lord Jesus Christ. So church, or, or if there's anyone sitting here, if you haven't, if you haven't come to the salvation experience, you, know, you should know this, that a just God will judge you. Look at how, look at how he's dealing with sin and all of this, right? Look at how he's dealing with, with the Jews, with the city of Jerusalem, um, and all that he's going to do in the end times. And all of this is because sin came into this world through one man. But today we have redemption in Christ, so we would beg of you to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? We move to the next uh, learning, and which is a sovereign God holds our future. Okay? So, oops, the slides have gone. 
Okay. Okay, what this means is God is preeminent in power and authority. That is what sovereignty means. A sovereign God holds our future. God is preeminent in power and authority. And you know what? If you look at this portion that we just read, right? There is one common phrase right through this chapter which comes repeatedly, which means that the author is trying to make a point here. Okay, and I just want you to, to just look at the number of I will statements in, in, this, in this book. Okay, now, chapter 21, uh, verse 9, it says, but the end will not be at once. Okay, I'll just quickly go through. Verse 11 says, there will be earthquakes. And then it says, there will be terrors and great signs. And they will lay their hands on you. You will be brought before kings and governors. I will give you a mouth and wisdom. You will be delivered. You will, uh, you will be hated. They will put you to death. You will gain your lives, for there will be great distress. They will fall by the edge of the sword. Jerusalem will be trampled. There will be signs in sun and moon. The heavens will be shaken, and they will set, see the Son of Man coming in cloud. You know, he has determined everything. He's not saying, you might, you may. No, you, it will happen. So this speaks about a God who has orchestrated everything. Everything is in his hands. There's nothing that moves or there is nothing that is beyond his sovereignty. Now this is the God who holds our future. There's that saying, right? We don't know what our future holds, but we know who holds our future. This is the God. Amazing it is to know this God intimately. You know, Psalm 147 and verse 5 says that, Great is our God and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Our human minds just cannot comprehend this great God. We all go through difficulties in life. We might lose a loved one. We might have issues with, uh, with our jobs. We might have uh, you know, emotional issues. Sometimes you might be at a stage where you think that there's no one who can understand me. But you know, know this church. That the God that we trust, he's the sovereign one. Psalm 90 and verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. He's God from everlasting to everlasting. There is no end on either side. That's the God. And we are people who live in time and space. But just imagine, this is the God who we serve. And this is the God who has created from everlasting to everlasting he is God. Ephesians 1.11 says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him. He has predestined us. He had ordered everything. Again, that's a sovereign God. Just imagine, it's, it's, it's almost like, um, like a, um, uh, you know, when, when people make a movie, they shoot multiple scenes, but finally it's only the director who knows how all of this comes together and he pieces, pieces it all together on the editing table and then it becomes a great picture. We, you know, we are in the midst of multiple pieces, but it's only God who knows what that story is and how it will all unfold. It is time for us to just trust his sovereignty and I'm saying this to myself first and then to all of us here. No? Whatever be that situation that you're going through, just remember that from everlasting to everlasting, He is God. So be it the future of our kids, be it the future of our jobs, be it the future of our health, He may not change things. 
He may not change things if it is not in his will. But it is always assuring to know that the God that we pray to is that powerful being who is sovereign. Now, when we, when we write a petition, when, when we want something, uh, something uh, for consideration by the government, we would write an appeal and, and submit it to someone in authority. We would not submit it to a pune, right? It's the same thing here. Our prayers and petitions are being raised to a sovereign God who can change things. He may not all the time, but he can with just a command. And that should assure us, and that should strengthen our faith. Matthew 10, 29 and 30 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Just imagine, right? Just imagine. Sometimes we think that as much as we pray, we sometimes wonder, where is God? But he's the God who even knows the number of hair on our head. That just shows how much he is in control at every stage and at every phase of our life. And it is that God we worship today. It is that God to whom we pray. Job 42 verse 2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Amazing, right? It's truly amazing. Okay, so, so, uh, so that is lesson number two. And then we go to the next lesson, which is the church must live in the light of his return. We must always be prepared to meet our groom. We must always be prepared to meet our groom, right? It's, it's you know, the, 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 the apostles, the early church fathers, and right through history, people always thought that the coming of the Lord is near. And that's, that's a good thing. We should always have that expectation that the Son of Man will be here at any moment. And we should always live in the light of his return. It's like if you, if, uh, if sometimes if people uh, come to your house, if they tell you in advance, you will ensure that your house is kept neat and clean, right? But uh, sometimes if somebody comes unannounced, you know, the house will be in a mess. It's always good to be prepared for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, which can happen at any moment. Okay, what is... Uh, what is um, what does Hebrews 9.28 say? So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We must be eagerly waiting for him. When your spouse goes on, say, on, tra uh, on, on a work-related travel, and when he or she is away for a long time, you just want the person to come back, right? Do, you, do we actually eagerly wait for the Lord's return? Maybe not, right? We just want to maybe um, live some more, um, just go on a nicer holiday, maybe buy a bigger house, you know, all of that. But we should be eagerly waiting for him. We should be missing him. And, 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 and we should long for him. Second Corinthians 5 and 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, it's not, it's, not, it's not fine to just live, but we have to give an account of the life that we have lived on the face of this earth. Now, if you and I were to stand before a judge tomorrow, how confident will we be to stand before the judge? 
Now, it depends on what we have done. Are we innocent? Are we guilty? Now, when we have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we have to give an account for all that we have done. All that we have done as Christians, all that we have done as employees, all that we have done as husbands, all that we have done as wives, all that we have done as children. Each of this, we have to give an account for every area of our life. And today, today, if we were to ask ourselves, when the Lord returns and if we are to stand in that judgment, will our hands be strong? Can we confidently say that, that you know, I have fought the good fight? I have, you know, like what, like what Paul says, or, or, will be, or, or, or remember the parable of the talents? Will the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or when we stand before Christ, will our heads be down? We don't want to even look up because we messed up our life. The only life that God gave us. Hope that is not the case with any of us. And hope our lives would be life which is set in order. Matthew 16 says, For the Son of Man is going to come with the angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So let's keep all of these verses in mind. Luke 21, we are running out of time. Luke 21 verses 34 to 36 says, But watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life and the day and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth but stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the son of man so that is the last portion in 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 um, in this chapter right so so church let us be watchful okay let us not be weighed down by the worries and cares of this world. Because, because uh, I mean, this end times which is being spoken about here speaks about Jesus' uh, second coming. But we know that the rapture can happen anytime. It comes without warning. He'll come like a thief in the night. In the twinkling of an eye, we could be gone. And then it will be too late for us to, for us to change track. So, so let's, 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 let's think about how we all should live in the light of his return. And all of us in this church, or whichever church that you are in, the church is something which, 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 which the Lord paid a great price. He bought with his precious blood. So let's reorder our lives. So what did we learn today? Just the three application points. We spoke about a just God will judge righteously. Okay? He is going to judge. He is going to judge. And if you haven't put your faith in him, we would appeal you to put your faith in him. And the history of Israel shows that God will punish the offender. He has always punished and he will punish. A sovereign God holds our future. No matter what you're going through, even if there's no one in this world who can understand what you're going through, always remember that the Lord is sovereign. And he will always, his plans and purposes, they will never fail. So it's a privilege and opportunity to trust and put our future into the hands of the sovereign God. And finally, the church must live in the light of his return. Let us eagerly wait for him. Let us long for his return. And as we do that, let's reorder our lives so that when he comes, we will get that good commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Okay. So that's mainly what, uh, what we had to discuss here today. I have just put a few questions in the last slide. This is something which you can go home and think about or use it in your discussion. 
And before we close, actually we will sing that song. There's this song, which is song number 393. Song number 393, it says, There is a higher throne. I'll pray and then maybe we can sing that song. Yeah. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity that you gave us to discuss your truths from Luke chapter 21. And Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that, uh, that right through the history of this world, Father, your plans and purposes, they have been playing out. Lord, we are just amazed with the way in which you chose Israel as a nation and your plan for salvation has been, has been, has been working out through their history, Lord. And we want to thank you that at the right time, Jesus Christ came into this world. And we want to thank you that the doors of salvation got opened to the Gentiles. And we want to thank you that we are able to put our faith and trust in you, Lord. And we want to thank you for making us your children. And Father, as, as we read your scriptures and as we read about what's going to happen in the end times and as we read about what has happened to the nation of Israel and what will happen to them, Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is just. We want to thank you that you are a God who is holy. We want to thank you that you are a God who, who, Lord, while we see injustice in this world, but we want to thank you that you are a God who is just. But we also remember that in your justice, you have to punish sin. And we pray that if there's anyone in our midst who has not come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, then you would draw that person to your fold, Lord. And Father, we also want to thank you that you are a sovereign God. Lord, we want to thank you that it is this sovereign God that we trust and to whom we have entrusted our life and beyond. And we want to thank you that, that it is this God who holds our future, Lord. Our God is not like the gods of this world who have eyes but don't see and, and, and ears but do not hear. But we want to thank you that we trust in an almighty and sovereign God. And Father, we praise you, Lord, for that. We want to thank you that you chose to send your Son into this world to, to make a relationship with us. And Father, we want to thank you for that. Father, we also pray that all of us would live in the light of your return. We pray that we would long for you. We would wait for you. We would look for that day when we will join with you, Lord, in midair. And Father, we want to thank you for the glorious hope that you've given us. Lord, we pray for the words that, that were spoken today and we pray that it would continue to work in our hearts and it would continue to, to, to do the work of transforming our lives. Father, we praise you and we want to thank you, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Mm -hmm.